insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. Join us on our journey into the past, the present, and the future as we explore the relationship between technology and humanity. Together, we are going to find out what it means to live in a society where everything is connected and the only constant is change. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at nintex.com. RSA Security offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. Learn more at rsa.com. Marco. Sean. Can you, can you keep a secret? I, I sign a document, so I have to. <laughs> it's under NDA, that's <laughs> I don't even know if I can be on this podcast. Uh, do right. you release me yeah. from? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick you off this podcast. All right, let's uh, do that. Yeah, no, secrets are good, um, but I'm, I'm wondering if secrets are always good or if sometimes we should be sharing a little more, uh, especially when it comes to protecting ourselves. I have the answer, but it's a secret. It is a secret. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, well maybe, maybe our guests today will be a little more forthcoming with uh, some of their, their thoughts. And uh, today we're, we're looking at the, the topic of patents, more specifically technology patents, and maybe even a little more specifically cybersecurity slash privacy patents. We'll see how far we go. Um, Two guests joining us. We have Joanna Chen and Puya Partel. Thank you so much for uh, being part of this. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. So folks know who they're hearing from as the voices come across. Uh, A few words, Joanna, about uh, what you're up to in your role. Sure. Um, I'm Joanna Chen, and I'm an associate at Postinelli. I practice patent prosecution uh, with a focus on computer science and electrical engineering. I've been practicing for about six years now, and so I'm kind of at this point in my career where I'm not just focusing on like the prosecutorial strategies and implementing on like a micro scale with individual applications, but kind of also how it plays a role when I advise clients. Um, with respect to strategy and protecting an entire patent portfolio. Um, that being said, I did want to thank uh, Kuya, Sean, and Marco for bringing me into this conversation. Um, can I play a role in enlightening your listeners who are interested in um, IP strategy, especially in the cybersecurity field? Uh, but you know, I also plan on learning a few things from you, uh, myself from um, the three of you. And so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. 
I love it. We, we say if, if we make people think we're doing our job and, and I know I'm going to be thinking throughout this whole thing. So thanks for, thanks for being part of this. Joanna Puya. Hi, my name is Puya Parto. Um, I am a partner at Cypher Shaw. I do patent prosecution. Most of my practice is patent prosecution. I do some trademark prosecution and advising clients on their IP portfolios and strategies, some IP licensing and anything else IP related that kind of pops up in the flow of a law firm of a big firm. I've been practicing for 14 years now. Before this, I was a software quality assurance engineer at Symantec, which is where I worked with Sean. And a few, I invented, few days ago now. <laughs> yeah. I invented an ad blocker while I was at Symantec, and that kind of was got me going into the world of patents. So I've been on both sides, the patenter and the patentee. Yeah, I love it. And um, we're going to tap into both of those sides. And it's been been fun and, and fascinating to watch uh, watch your path uh, along your career grow, Puya. So thank you for being part of this as well. So kind of the, the, the premise that I have here is that you may have caught it loosely as, as we started this off. Certainly there's value in in protecting one's innovation, right? So somebody de- develops something and it's unique and they want to extract the most value of that, all the value being money, market share, whatever it is, power. On the other side of things, we often talk about where innovation is perhaps stifled or in, in the security space, tech, uh, protections are not as full or complete. And Marco, I know we've been talking about this idea that a flying car isn't possible without multiple components uh, being brought oh, yeah. together. And the convergence so, of technologies that exactly. they come, they need to come together for the real innovation. So, so the big burning question is, and maybe license the answer, maybe this podcast is over, but it, are we are we stifling innovation? Are we preventing good things from happening because of intellectual property being protected under uh, patent law? So I don't know who who wants to take a first crack at that with some thoughts and see where this goes. I can take a stab at it. Um, I don't think it is. And I, on a day to day basis, uh, we get clients that come to us with ideas, and we do a search on their idea to see if someone's patented before or not. A lot of times it's the subject matter isn't patentable. Sometimes it is. And you know, you could say, okay, I give up or you could say, well, I'm going to improve on this and I'm going to make it better. Or I'm going to find how my, my invention differs from their invention. And the entire goal of the patent system is to uh, spur innovation. That's why, your patents are published unless you have a reason to not publish them until they're allowed. So by the mere fact of publishing your your patent, it causes other people to see it and learn how it's made and then improve upon it. So it does spur, while the, although it gives you some protection and it prevents some people from entering your space, in the long run, it causes, it causes additional innovation. Yeah. And, um, I can add to that as well. I think you mentioned um, open source and, you know, on the same lines, I think when there are a lot of non-practicing entities or patent trolls, you know, using IP in a fashion that kind of 
people can deem as misuse. There are um, scenarios where, you know, larger companies have come together to kind of promote patent non-aggression and um, especially in the space of open source. So I think, you know, for the most part, when um, companies are happy with their IP and how, how it's being used, uh, it can be a good thing. But then they also, you know, patent trolls are an example of when um, the misuse can happen and then kind of how uh, the community c can come together to uh, kind of make sure that innovation is stunted by these individuals and companies. Well, as we started this conversation, um, even before we actually hit the record button, we were talking about how things can be good and bad. It's just the way you use it. But yeah. there is also a function of, let's say, a function of the time. Now, now we live in a time where there is invention that are driven by invention. So technology, is, it's actually bringing even more ideas, more concepts. It's kind of crazy if you look back 50, 60 years from now. So I am curious to know how the, the patent laws are being adopted to, to this Morse law of the acceleration of technology and computer power and so forth. There is some catching up. Uh, it's It's... A few years ago, there's case law that made it harder to get software-related ap patent applications. It's eased up a little bit, but the the way around it, and there's a lot of myths around patents. Is you'll read a headline, and I hate to use the term fake news, but it, it is. They'll say, "Oh, Apple just um, patented something," or "Google just patented something," or anybody has patented this this invention. And you're like, "How could they patent that?" Because it seems so simple. There's like the the example of the um, single touch from Amazon, uh, and you can think, oh, so a layperson will say, oh, how that doesn't seem like it's patentable. But when you go and read the patent, it's actually some really novel feature of the broader invention that's being patented. So it might be a tiny improvement upon it, or how to make it better, and that is what is actually spurring the innovation. Because you find an improvement on something that's previously made, and so now you have that improvement and so on. And then that improvement might cause some failure down the road. And then you improve upon that. Um, a, an example that I've dealt with in a few years ago is if you've uh, recall when you used to have Bluetooth headsets and they'd always drop your calls while you're, while you're talking. And that was because the signal, the uplink signal from your cell phone would interfere with the downlink signal from your Bluetooth and it'd cancel each other out. That's an example of technology causing a problem, but then the solution to that becomes a patent and then you improve upon that solution. So you're constantly, like Marco said, we're constantly innovating and adding adding ideas to it. And so the patent, I guess I, I haven't really answered your question of how has the, how have we caught up to it, but. Well, no, you, you are, but you, Kind of like I want to pass the ball to Joanna now and ask how hard is to protect this patent when it's just one little details and and from an external uh, untrained eye, it just look the same exact thing. Yeah, so I think um, from like a pat patent attorney's perspective, what we try to do is even if we do a search, you know, sometimes it's not going to capture the entire sphere of what is out there. And so all we can really do is kind of describe everything that the inventor has told us. And as long as the description is there, 
um, once we get to the prosecution stage, we can fine tune the claims to kind of uh, pick at what we find based on what is out there um, that the examiner has found uh, to move the case forward to make it uh, allowable. And um, in terms of like how this has to do with um, how to predict kind of especially when it comes to AI or like abstract or software patents and the abstract idea issue. Um, it is, it is difficult because I think when I first started um, one the, the 101 abstract idea issue, just uh, the Alice case just came out and a, a lot of attorneys just was really frustrated because it became this black box of, you know, we don't really know how to advise clients. And so I think a lot of what the attorneys I've worked with in the past is, you know, describe as much as you can in those applications. And then, unfortunately, kind of just have to wait. You wait until the cases come out and more guidance comes out. And then um, hopefully your patent is still pending. And then you can uh, kind of, you know, change the claims from there. And Joanna, and then maybe, maybe Puya can comment on this as well. So looking at this from, I have what I believe to be a novel idea. The, the two paths are, let me just build it, bring it to market. Hopefully it's unique enough. I can, I can market and sell it to where I can grow uh, revenue. Or I think, and maybe no research into, is this patentable or is this an existing patent, right? So there's that path. And then there's the path that we've kind of touched on, which is we think it's novel. We want to see if it's patentable. Well, maybe not as it is. So I'm going to fine tune it and incrementally make it better. And I take that path to one, establish a new patent and avoid perhaps some prosecution from, from another patent that I might be infringing upon. So the, the question I'm leading to is, if I take the path where I don't even look, and I think I have a nice innovation, some novel idea, and I just move forward with it, how often do we see those innovations come to market that then step on the toes of something that's already been protected? And and what happens in those types of cases? Oh, I, I can uh, start that. Well, uh, if, you know, the uh, the owner of that patent is, uh, you know, litigious and wants to, you know, really fight for their protection, which, you know, some patent owners aren't, um, then there could be an issue that where they reach out to you, they can send you a cease and desist, and then you would kind of work with them to see um, if, like, you can read, read have your patent attorney read the claims and see if they actually, you know, overlap or, um, and if they, if, you know, the decision is that you know, it, it does, either you can stop, uh, stop producing the product or you can license. Um, those are kind of the couple of steps, uh, kind of a couple of options you have at that point. Yeah, because Puya, your thoughts on this, because what, what I'm picturing is I have this system that I built and there's one part of it that I think is novel, integral to the system, but I don't really care much about that piece. But somebody else does. They've patented it. <laughs> so now now my system is effectively at risk of operating properly because of this one piece. So jo Joanna mentioned licensing. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I see this and we just wrapped a, a podcast around ransomware. So a really tough problem for the cybersecurity industry to solve. And I, I can only envision there's something there that could be part of it, a system that would help us tackle the problem of ransomware as one example. And I, 
yet it's probably patented. Somebody can't use that piece to, to fully build it out. I'm, I'm speculating here. My question is, because of that process, are we preventing a system from being built or making it difficult for a system to be built? Because maybe that patent isn't going to be used to solve ransomware. It can only do so within this other system that's built and maybe the two never shall meet and therefore that problem never gets solved that's kind of my, my theoretical it's, view on it's it it's entirely yeah it's entirely possible um you you have you have something that someone else patented and they are not going to let you use it um and it, it might it might stifle um some product that will save us from ransomware or you know there's um COVID, the COVID vaccine is an example of if someone had patented this and they don't want others to use it, we could stifle the um, vaccine from getting out. Um, that's why uh, I believe the polio uh, vaccine was never patented. I may be wrong on that, but I, I believe that's the case. Uh, it, it's just the, the cost of doing business. And I, I, it's this, that's the million dollar question is how do we um, stop people from, um, it's like when Superman became bad and Superman, I think it was Superman three. <laughs> um, how, how do you stop that from happening? Uh, I don't know. It, it is, uh, you do your due diligence before you release your product, um, try to license it or try to innovate around it. But sometimes you're stuck with your back against the wall. Yeah. Cause it, when it, when it's business, it's one thing and I'll let you go in a second market. When it's business is one thing, but when it starts, you use the COVID example, when it starts to impact my life, <laughs> my actual health of my life and and maybe ransomware could have it, it impact my life as well i don't know i think it takes a different turn though yeah yeah I, yeah i agree with that and i think um as i previously mentioned about kind of the open source scenario i think it's, it's a very good uh kind of framework to look at to see kind of learn from how this community kind of built or this kind of uh no pattern no fly zone and it, it takes a lot of you know, actors that are very active in that community to basically, um, you know, gather a bunch of data points and, you know, patent applications to basically, you know, strike down these types of bad actors. Um, but it does take a lot of work. And so I think it's possible, but it's, it's not something like, you know, a couple people can kind of do. Well, with great powers came responsibility right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's throw spider-man in there too uh, yeah yeah i have no responsibility so the, i mean here I, I love it because we're kind of picturing kind of like an apocalyptic situation or you know dystopia utopia and how somebody with bad intention can really take advantage of this regulation if you look at it from a business perspective so where where do you draw the line on society but I don't think there is such a line, right? I mean, if you're a business entity and you decide not to disclose something, I guess it doesn't really matter how many life that could save. Is there anything you can do about it? I think that ventures out of the patent world. I, I mean, for us as patent attorneys, our job is to get the patent for a client or um, help them get it. Uh, when it comes to what they do with it afterwards. Um, I hate to say our hands are clean, but we don't really have, we don't really have influence on what they do with it. But as a society, I think you can influence what people do if, 
if there's a bad actor. I forgot what's that guy's name. The um, who was who was the biotech pharma boy guy who likes jacked up the oh, price right. for the oh yeah Martin something. Mm-hmm. He bought the Wu Tang out of that. like it's a society pressure applied enough pressure on him. I don't think he ever brought the price of the drug down, but you know it was on the right path. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course. It's a question that doesn't really have to do with uh, with your job. You do your job, you do it right, and that's the end of it. But, you know, the question about morality always always come to mind. So while we're in these crazy ideas of crossing the boundaries, what if artificial intelligence and machine learning start developing some really good ideas? Are we going to give the rights and the patent to... An artificial intelligence identity? Uh, Do they have copyright power? Well, um, I know that there's a case that just came out, well, not just, maybe like a year ago that came out that basically said that, you know, AI cannot be a patent or an inventor to a patent. So at least, I think this is at least in the US. Um, Maybe that's not the case in other countries so far. But uh, that's that's been decided. was that the only question? I can't remember if you had another follow-up question, but for that one, um, for now, uh, we, I think we can rest easy about that, I think. That, that's All until right. the AI starts to, to define the policy. And they'll say yes. <laughs> yes, we can. We're going, we're, going, we're going all the way. No, but I mean, really, it, it kind of makes me think, apart from the joke, the responsibility for a car that... This is an autonomous car and make a decision who is the one that you can persecute if the decision has been made to save your life as the driver, the owner, or to save the life of the people in the street. Is it you as the owner? Is it the, the company? Is it the software developer? I mean, it, it become a very, very complicated area. Yeah, one of the things I learned all the way back in law school that still stuck with me was with um, like a torts professor. Um, and he basically said, like, his whole rule of how, who should have the liability is basically who has the power to change and make better whatever that situation is, right? So in this particular case, I would think it's the, the AI company. They are in charge of, um, you know, the code and putting it out there. And so if you want to uh, get, again, you know how with power comes great responsibility, if you want them to change what they're doing, and then you should put that responsibility on them based on um, just kind of that thought. And so that's always stuck with me. And I, I don't know if that's everyone's thinking, but it, I think it makes sense uh, when I heard it. I think it does. I'm going I'm to change it a little bit here because I'm thinking on the, the topic of machine learning and artificial intelligence. There are countless claims of AI and ML solving tons of problems. And, and I'm just wondering, are you seeing patents that support the <laughs> numbers of claims, the marketing claims that are being made that, that this stuff is actually doing something unique and novel versus just some script or, or some, uh, some, I don't know, some say a script is probably the best way to put it. There, there, are, there are many attempts um, to, to try to patent those um, those ideas and um my wife calls me the dream killer because <laughs> sometimes people come to me with their patents and then i say you can't patent that and a lot of it is those ideas of uh, not a this might not be like a machine learning example but someone will come and say okay i had instead of uber 
uh, picking you up, it's going to be for dog walking, or we're going to have a chariot pick you up instead. I'm going to patent that. And it's like, you can't, something that's already invented or being done, you can't patent it. And if you just change the application, so you can't change the Uber's technology to dog walking technology. Um, but on the same thing, same accord, if the patent laws are written in a way where if something is can be done by a human and you're just applying a computer to it to speed up the process, it's not patentable. And that's what we that's what we always are driving home with the inventors is, okay, you, you have to show how you're actually, you're innovating. You can't just say, now I'm, I'm applying a computer to this, speeding it up. Yeah, um, I, I guess when you mentioned AI, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, patent attorneys have been focusing on and making sure clients uh, focus their attention on is if they can show a way that the the computer is, the technology itself is being improved. Um, that uh, has been uh, through various case law has been shown to be a very good way to overcome this abstract idea issue. Um, and so with AI, it's like, how do you improve the, have you improved the trained model? Have you improved what data is, and features are being provided to this model and how kind of like the features are being uh, mapped or um, post-processed, like all of these different ways of improving the actual system. Um, that is one way to get over the abstract idea issue. And another thing with AI is we, we see a lot of cases where someone's saying, okay, this is improving the training process. But then you, you go back and say, is, how are you going to assert your patent? Because how do you know how someone else is training their system? You're not going to be able to open up their computer and say, and look at their code and say, okay, you're using my training system, the, the, my training invention to, to improve your training. So at, at the end of the day, you might get the patent on that, but how are you ever going to enforce it? So we always try to guide our uh, inventors and say, okay, how is this detectable and how are you going to enforce it? Um, think of the actual application, not the training process when it comes to AI specifically. Yeah, when you use the word system, I know you're talking, uh, I'm picturing a machine or collective uh, set of machines doing some learning and, and training. I'm going to look at this from, as we get close to the wrap here, from the bigger system. And I'm going to bring it back to flying cars. How do you approach something like that where there's an element within a flying car? How do, how do you know that there's a component in there that's being used that might infringe upon a patent? And how do you get to the point where you can e explode all the components to see that, yes, that, that element is patented and we need to now break that apart to see that it actually infringes on, on the patent. Is that something you do as lawyers or is there some other entity that looks at system-wide uh, views like that? It's usually an engineer will figure out how that this, this component is performing this act of the patent. And when you draft the patent, you want to draft it to one specific component. You don't want to, for example, if there's a, base station and a, and a mobile device. You don't want to claim both the base station and the mobile device because then you're going to have to go after two entities. And there's a thing of divided infringement is a, is a thing in patent law. Um, so when it comes to the component, when you draft the patent, you want to focus on what the component is actually doing. So let's say it's um, the navigation system. So you don't want to claim uh, 
you want to claim that the navigation system receives information, does something with their information, and outputs information, or maybe controls something else to happen, rather than claiming a bunch of different components. So if you can show that, okay, I know if I input this information and if I get the out this specific output, then I can pre then I can guess that they're infringing on my component, and that's that's the best way. When it comes to drafting your patent, you know that something comes in, something get gets performed and something comes out, then you can pretty much figure out if someone's infringing it by feeding that kind of information to your car or whatever component it is. So I think, uh, Sean, as we close here, I'm going to refer, my mind goes back to, to history again and how it was a lot easier before, but still was... Keep, keep history a secret. Don't care. <laughs> Well, if you look at history, we still have some issue, I think, in figuring out who really invented the, the telephone. And maybe because I'm Italian, I'm a fan of Marconi and not, and not Bell. But, you know, back in the days, you had to jump to, to really patent something. And, and there was a race versus exactly what Puya said. I mean, there may be 100 more people nowadays that are doing the same thing than they get there without any any intention or to copy someone else, but the information is there. It's uh, unless it's a, an open source situation and you really don't even know nowadays if you are, I guess, infringing somebody's patent. So I don't envy your job. <laughs> I think that's the bottom line. Never ending stream. And when that stream locks up, you just, uh, you just put a call out and say, hey, that looks uh, suspicious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, do, do you guys think that there is a something that is going to change and is going to make your job uh, easier? Like, I don't know, blockchain on patent or... <laughs> I, don't, I, I actually like my job a lot because um, I get to... I don't, I don't deal with other attorneys much, um, so that's nice. <laughs> uh, I, deal with, I, I get to deal with engineers most of the time, um, which is fun. And you get to see um, new and exciting stuff that's coming out. It's it's fun to be involved in the process and uh, spurred innovation. I, I don't know if Joanna agrees, but I think she likes her job. Yeah, I agree with you. I think patent prosecution and litigation are just two different beasts. Like prosecution, we're in the stage where you know the inventors are excited about their invention, and we're just you know we're not really thinking about uh, or we're not really you know at a place where the inventors like worried about anything in terms of people attacking and you know it's it's still very much uh building we're at the building stage um i have done a little bit of litigation um in the past and i'd say i think um there i don't i can't conceive of a, a situation where you know ai or any computer could be or blockchain could be really taking over a substantial portion of that job but, um, you know, hopefully technology will make uh, more menial tasks easier. Well, I know I, I paid a fortune just for searching to see if some of my ideas were already patented. So if yeah, AI can help with that and too. cut that cost down, <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah. there'd be more innovation. Um, well, I mean, th this has been great. Uh, we're, we're at the end here. I suspect there's many other directions we could take this. I'm I'm still hopeful we'll see flying cars. Um, I, it sounds like that's going to require collaboration with with many 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 people and entities that have 
protected components <laughs> that wish to license and perhaps share uh, their ideas so that that can actually happen. That's just one example of many. And, and obviously we touched on cybersecurity. I think as things move closer to our safety, uh, I'm also hopeful that patents and protecting them and prosecuting against infringers doesn't get in the way of keeping us safe. Um, so hopefully uh, ethics rule out and morals hold true and, and uh, we as humans don't be stupid and we, we uh, do the right thing. <laughs> Could it not anymore? It was a re resounding yes there. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, you you made you made such a beautiful close that you made a you made us think. And uh, as we always say uh, to the audience, if uh, this conversation that, as you can tell, was not script at all, uh, but we had a good time having it, and we we let our thoughts go free, and it makes you think about the issue uh, feel free to comment on our social media and if you have any other ideas for where you want this conversation to go just drop us a line and uh, Joanna and Puya and Sean thank you so much see you next time or thank actually you. listen to you next time <laughs> thanks guys thank you RSA Security offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. Learn more at rsa.com. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at Imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and this story made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.